Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. third chapter of the book of Proverbs, the wisdom literature, beginning with the first verse, you will find these words so written. My son, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and abundant welfare will they give you. Let not loyalty and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them about your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. Happy is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gets understanding. For the gain from it is better than gain from silk, and it is profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. To those who hold her fast are called happy. Uh, Lord, let us understand what uh, you're talking about so we too can have a sense of fulfillment. Now I think most of us know that we're rapidly approaching Christmas. As some of us don't slow down, we're going to slide on back and not realize uh, what has taken place. And if some of you don't talk to my wife and tell her to speed up, she's not going to be prepared for it. <laughs> but one way or the other, most of us have a problem either going too fast or not fast enough. And then we come to this time of the year and we think about shopping and speaks to us about someone we love or people we love and hold dear to our heart. And we think about these special gifts that we need to lay hold of in order that we might be able to say to those that we do respect, appreciate, and love what we really think of them. So a gift has to carry a, a great message with us, and that's the reason uh, most people who are out shopping and who shop are, are very careful about the gift that they buy. Because it must convey a message of love. It must give to the person that receives it some sense of being glad to be alive. And let that person know that they're a very special and a very dear person. Now we could add another list of adjectives and descriptions onto of what I have just said about what takes place at Christmas and about the gifts and the things that we're looking for at just uh, very time. 
But what would you do, beloved, if you had the possibility of an unlimited budget and you were able to bestow and give any gift that you would uh, have in your heart and your mind to give to a person? Uh, what would it be? Would it be perhaps a new home to some, a new car, trip abroad? What kind of gift would you give? What would you select for those that uh, you love and, and care for very dearly? I was thinking in terms of this scripture this morning that I read to you, and if I could give a gift, I think it would be one if I could give whatever I wanted to give to a person this day that I think would mean the most to them and they could make the most out of it would be precisely what this man of the wisdom literature discovered some 2,000 years before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I would put it this way. If I had the ability and the capability to give a gift uh, that I think would be most meaningful to you, I would give you spiritual glasses. Now you might say, well now what kind of a gift is that anyhow? Well, let me tell you something. Even though you might feel let down about the situation, I agree with the wisdom writer who said that this is the most profound thing that ever a person could lay hold of is having the ability and the capability of being able to see the situation for what it really is. Now you know, beloved, the tragedy of us as Christians and the most of us who are seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we have a comfortable life by and large, but the truth of it is, as we even go around boasting to one another that we're wise and smart and have wisdom and understanding, but the truth of it is even the best of us are not really seeing what we ought to see. And we really sell ourselves short. Even in this society in which we live, where there's a high ability and capability and there's a much a formal education, we still come to the place, or at this place, where we do not see spiritually what we ought to see, even the best of us. And I, I tell you, if, if we would really see what we have and what God has given to us, uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ and what Christ has committed to us. I wouldn't make any difference if two foot of snow on the ground outside uh, there and cold enough to freeze you. It would still be a beautiful day because of what you know and what you know up here. Not necessarily what you feel, but what you know that has taken place. Now let me say to you, look what this man was saying. If we only had the ability and the capability to be able to see as we ought to, we would be able to see, as this man has said here in Proverbs, the third chapter, the sixth verse, where he is saying, In all thy ways acknowledge him. And in the revised version that I read, you said, Make your path straight. Well, I like the way the King James uh, Version is better, because it happens to say, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. A directed life. A directed life. Now, no gift that I could give to you would be more important than for you to come to the place where you would know and where you would sense that your life is a directed life. Now you will note that the directed life is a product, though, is a product of talking with God. Being able to talk to Him or simply pray. Prayer. Is prayer really a part of our life? Well, I don't care what it takes. Whatever it takes for us to come to a place where we would know that our life is directed. 
Acknowledge Him, however you might go about doing that. Recognize that God is God, and that He is God of this universe, and He is God of your life. Now, I don't care what you call that, whether you call it prayer, or just talking with God, or just being conscious of Him, doesn't make any difference. But coming to the place where you would know that you have a directed life. This is precisely our greatest need for this hour. It seems to me that we have also fulfilled the scriptures where it says, and Jesus was speaking, and said the shepherd has been smitten, and the sheep wander around in a hopeless, lost way. Well, we sort of fulfill the scripture at that point in this hour in which we live. Is it not so the spirit of our time is that by chance we live and by chance we die? And we as Christians pretty well go along with that type of a sad concept. And it is a tragedy and sad to know that the multitude do not know that there's any other way to live. Certainly we as Christians know now, you may have not made it your experience, or you may be foolishly going on about your way as if your life was not directed. But if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you do have a directed life. To know that you're in the hand of a living God. Beloved, you are in the hand of a living God. Now, the sad thing about it is that we go about this business of living as if we didn't know that, and it was not a reality. If this was really a reality to you, that you really knew this morning, from the deepest part of your soul, or from the deepest part of your mind, where you're capable of having knowledge, that you knew, that you knew that your life was directed by a living God, what would you really do? Would you act differently? Would you proceed in life differently? Would you hesitate to live like many of us do? Or would we really... Stand up and be the person that God had intended for us to be and get on with the business of living. Now you know, you can have it so near to you and yet you not operate on it. Now, the other day I told you I went to the doctor to get my glasses changed because I uh, can't see too well. In fact, I can't see too much back of church. If you sit in the back of church, I don't know whether you're here or not. Thank you back there, but I'm not sure. But anyway... So he told me the type of glasses that I needed and written something out on a piece of paper. It doesn't make sense to me, but I'm sure it will be to the ones I give it to to make my glasses out. But I still have that prescription here in my pocket. Now, that's not going to do me a bit of good unless I believe what that doctor told me, unless I present that piece of paper, unless I begin to act upon it. Now, when I begin to act upon this knowledge that I have, well, I'll be able to see all of it. Now, isn't that interesting? Well, you say, no, that's, if you don't do it, you're just dumb, that's all. Well, you know, the fact is, what keeps you from acting upon the paper that, so to speak, that you have within your heart and your soul in relation to Christ and what He's given to you? It's not going to do you a bit of good until you begin to act like it. And you can live the rest of your days, and I can live the rest of my days and never be able to see what's going on up there in the choir life. Well, I can see them, but I still don't know what's going on. Or you can begin to act upon the knowledge that has been given to you and that you know that you have and you know that you ought to. Every morning then we could wake to the fact that here I am, God, and I'm ready for your day. I like to start the service. Very seldom do I ever 
not start the early service in this church without saying, This is the day the Lord hath made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Well, if the Lord made the day, why not? And if He's in charge of my life and we're both called together at this moment, well, evidently He wanted me to enjoy it and make the most of it. And so here we are together. Let's get on with the business. Dear one, let me say to you, the greatest thing that you could possibly know at this moment in the bottom of your soul is to know that your way is directed. If you know it for sure, isn't it wonderful? Is there any knowledge like it? Now that's what the writer was trying to tell you in those first 18 verses there in the third chapter. There's nothing upon the face of this earth like it. You can't get it any other way. You will come to the place where you will know that your life is directed. Secondly, that you would be able to see that you can act with a great deal of boldness. You will see that your living does not have to be in a timid way. You do not have to go about this business of living as if you're scared to death. You can remember in the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter and the sixth verse, where Paul is counseling that group of people, said, Be careful for nothing, but in every way acknowledge God. Be careful for nothing. Live the way that you ought to and do what you ought to do unafraid. How much of your living is one of reaction. Reaction. Oh, I don't go to church because I don't like somebody over there. Don't like the way it's going on. Don't like the way it's running. Don't like what the board's doing. Don't like this. Don't like the other. I'm not given because I don't like it and so forth and so on. And so we talk and become critical and become judgmental. We do not have any dreams of our own or any vision of our own. So if anyone brings us any, uh, we immediately attack them and tell them point blank why it will not work. All goes to say uh, that we speak from a heart uh, that has given up its right to live unafraid, dynamically, creative. When I was thinking about this this past week, there was a lady that came to my mind that I think that was one of the bravest gals that I've known uh, through the years. She was just such a character. When I knew her, she was, I think, 85 years of age. And she lived straight across from a post office in this little town, right across the main drag. Every car came down that highway, went right down around in front of her house and separated her from the post office. And every day from 11 to 12, somewhere along there, you could count on Miss Fannie Mae making up her mind about that time that she was going to go over to the post office, whether she had any mail or not. She hadn't received any mail for probably 10 years, but she'd go to the post office anyway. And I could tell from the study of the church when Miss Fannie Mae was going across the road because you could hear the grinding of wheel, the screeching of tires, and you could hear some ungodly words said every once in a while. And I said to Miss Fannie Mae one time, she would she'd make it, she'd get along about like I'm getting along now, and she'd make it out to the middle of the road to the white line and she'd stop. You could always count on her stopping right there. And she'd stop and rest a while. Oh, I don't know what she's doing. She'd stop and she'd wave at the people as they'd come back. I said, Miss Fannie Mae, I said, you're going to get killed one of these days. I said, somebody's going to run you dead. She says, now, preacher, said, don't you worry about that. She said, I've been doing this for a year. Everybody in town knows me. And they know that I've got to go to the post office. And they're going to see me and they're going to stop. Well, God love her. I moved away from there and she lived on, I think, near a hundred. And one night she went to sleep and she just forgot to wake up. But courageously, does not the scripture tell us, I have watched that lady cross the road. And she put her mind on that post office over. She'd either look to the right or to the left. 
and she had marched right out in that traffic. What does the scripture tell us about living? I said to myself a half dozen time, I wish I had the courage and the faith and the guts and whatever else it takes to live that way. That I would fix my mind on God and listen to what he tells me. Any man that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. I would like to be able to not even look to the left or to the right. Don't worry about what's past. Don't worry about what's out here in the future. And I'm not going to look back. But I'm going to walk straight out there and let God be God. And I'm going to be his servant. And let the grinding of the wheel and the screeching of the brakes or whatever else needs to be done, let it happen. Courageous. Living with a daringness. Be careful for nothing. We go about this business of living and some of us, we slip around like you think that we're going to disturb somebody. Most of us have everything going for us that we could have going for us, but a sense of boldness. But a sense of boldness. A sense of boldness. I was with a group of preachers the other day. They had me talking about the man that passed away here some years ago, a dear friend of mine. God knew what he was doing when he called this man to be a, be a minister. He was more of a prophet. Than a, than a pastor. And he would get up and preach just like a Hebrew prophet. And of course, you know, that meant that a lot of people didn't agree with him. And I loved him dearly. And I miss him like you wouldn't believe. But I, I couldn't go along with some of the things he said either. But one of these ministers making a very critical of him and said to, that he always had problems, difficulties wherever he went. Well, who doesn't, you know? But the other preacher said, yes, that's true. But one thing you could say for this man was that you could know precisely where you disagreed with him. Have you ever wondered about the people that you know and you sort of don't like them, but you don't know why you don't like them? Well, if I have to be disliked, I would like to be able to speak in such a way that those who disagree with me would know why they disagree with me. You know, one of the professors out here at seminary, he's dead now. I didn't like that character when I was in seminary. I didn't have enough sense to appreciate him properly. The truth of it was. And he would say and do a lot of things that I just couldn't go along with at all. But you know what that man was able to do? And I didn't know it at the time. He was able to make me rethink my thoughts like no other professor I ever had. And he was able to make me come to a clear-cut decision on what I really think about many things including the Lord Jesus Christ and his Messiahship. And now when I think about that man, I think about two things. I feel hurt within myself that I was not mature enough to see that man for what he really was. Oh, if he were still a living, you know what I'd do? I'd go talk to him and I would go tell him that you made me distill my thinking more than any other man that I have ever known on the face of this earth. Why, we don't have to agree with one another. But I tell you what, we ought to know where we disagree. And then if we disagree, that's all right. That's maturity. That shows that you've got a mind and whoever you disagree with has got a mind too. That's beautiful. And we should live. You know, old Jezebel knew why she hated Elijah. She didn't have to go down and ask somebody, ask her husband, Ahab, Ahab, why do I hate that character? Why, she knew why she hated him. Because he had gone and killed 400 of her good boys. He knew. And the one that received the head of John the Baptist on a platter. She knew why she hated him. No one had to tell her. The Church of England. 
knew precisely why they did not want John Wesley to stand in any of their pulpits and preach. Because they knew that this character, every time he had an opportunity to preach, was going to get up and tell the people that God loves the poorest person upon the face of this earth. And they didn't want to hear that. They knew that when he got up to preach that he was going to tell them that you had better gear yourself to minister to those people out there that are dying and that are starving to death. And they didn't want to hear that. But they knew why they disagreed with him. They knew. They knew. What does the church need to do today? I remember that verse of Scripture that says uh, that if the trumpeter gives the uncertain sound, how will the soldiers know what to do? Can you imagine here the battle line is drawn? There's enemy out there and here's the, here are the people here who are going to fight. And they're ready to do battle. And so the trumpeter is supposed to give a signal to charge. Well, what if the trumpeter gives a signal and a note that they never heard tell of before? Well, they don't know whether to stand there or go blind. Sometimes we within the church. We have lost our sense of boldness about our Christian faith and our conviction. And when everything within the Scriptures from one end of it to the other tells us that we're to live our faith and to be bold in our presentation of our life. Talking at a sale the other day to two ladies. Well, now I wasn't talking to them. That's an overstatement. I was listening to them. And this one was telling the other one what had happened to him. And he was telling the facts of, of what had happened to him in a spiritual way. He said, you know, one thing I've been able to do is to make money. He says, I've made money and my business has been good and the contracting. I've always had work to do and had work for my men. But it, said, it seemed like to me that the more money I made, the unhappier I became. said, so I woke up one time not too long ago and I realized that everything was right out here, but everything was wrong in here. I was empty. There wasn't anything in there. I was just an empty shell. I just felt terrible. I said, one night, along in the morning, I got to the place where I couldn't stand it anymore, and so I got out of bed. And I got down on my hands and knees in a room away from my wife, and I was on my hands and knees down on the floor. And I found myself talking to God. And I said to him, Lord, if there's anything in this business of religion that you can do something with a man, here's a man that needs you. He says, quick as a flash, as it popped in my mind, he said, you remember that little church right down the street from the little, little Baptist church that just been started? He says, you get down there to that Baptist church. Little church, you get busy. And before that night was over, is that I had such a feeling of my heart and my soul that I can't tell you about it. There's no words that I can tell you about it because I promised God I was going to do what I sensed within my heart I should do. And about that time, this other fellow I was listening to, he said, glory to God. You know, just like an old shopping madness. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. He says, brother, I know where you're coming from because I've been there. I didn't say a word. But something happened within my heart too. Now these were laymen, not preachers. Oh no, they were laymen. You know, a preacher doesn't talk like that. You think he's crazy. Layman. One layman telling another one what God has done for him. How he's changed his life. Now how he's going to get busy and live like he ought to live in the kingdom of God. Live in a daring way. Be careful for nothing. You get on with the business of living. Well, close with. Now I've got the sense of direction. And there's boldness in my soul. Now I need some power. And if you would look in the second 
book of 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, you'd find the old Apostle Paul saying something like this. He said, I had a thorn in the flesh and asked the Lord to do away with it. In fact, I prayed to him three times about the situation. And the Lord said to me, he says, not going to do it. He says, my grace is sufficient. And for my strength is going to be made perfect in your weakness. That's what it says right here. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Now, I like that because I can say to the Lord, honestly, Lord, I've got a lot of weakness within my life. And that means it's going to be a demonstration of your power somewhere. The interesting thing is what the, the message that has come from this conversation between God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and Paul. And the Lord is saying to Paul, Now, Paul, listen. Now, I'm going to take care of the situation. Now, whatever you need, I'm going to supply it as long as you will get on with the business. Now, you see, it is the same in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, that are here. And what Paul is saying in the New Testament 2,000 years later, it hasn't changed one degree. Still on target. If you will look to me, Paul, don't you worry about your being a, a weak. I'll take care of it. In your weakness, they will be able to see my strength and my power. I like that. Now I have the assurance of it. Yes. Paul was beaten. The crowd threatened him. He was stoned, shipwrecked, sick, snake bitten. And yet his group, with his leadership, turned this world upside down and nearly inside out for God and for his kingdom. Oh, you bet it cost him something, all right. But you look at the results of it. Through his power that God was able to manifest through this man and other men, everything that we know to us upon this earth has been rearranged from time to time. Rivers have been stopped. The heavens have been sealed. The heavens have been opened. The blind have been able to see. The sick made well. The lame to walk. And so forth and so on and so on. Simply because God has found one who can see the possibilities of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now to close with, in the book of Kings, the sixth chapter, you will find one of the most interesting stories that's ever written within the Old Testament. It's a thrilling story to me. Because you remember the country of Syria was a power at that time. They had a mighty army. And they were after God's people. And you remember they sent an army. They distilled it down and they sent an army to capture one little old poor measly looking man. By the name of Elisha. But he was a prophet of God. For God's people. And so they knew that if they could get rid of this character. Now do away with him. They'd be able to have their way and could ambush the people of God and take them captive. And so they found him in a little old town one day. And so that night while he was sleeping, you remember they moved their whole army and surrounded that town. Soldiers were standing shoulder to shoulder with their shields, their spears. Behind them was their horsemen, and behind them were their chariots of war. And so when Elijah's servant got up the next morning and went outside and he looked, and he saw the city was surrounded with all the fighting equipment that the Syrian army had. The best of that time. He came running back into the chamber where Elisha was sleeping and said to him, says, Master, they have caught us. The town is completely surrounded. And then you remember Elisha tried to quiet him and said, Lord, I just I like, he said, Lord, open his eyes that he might see. 
that the forces for us are far stronger than those that are against us. And so when the young man went back outside to look again, he saw something that staggered because he could see in behind that group of Syrians there was the host of heaven, the mightiest army that he had ever seen or could ever think about. And they ranged the Syrians, the host of heaven, the greatest power that this earth has ever known. But did God have to use this power? No, not really. You know what happened to the Syrians? Elisha said, Now, Lord, all you have to do is just blind them, and I'll take it from there. And you remember, that's all God had to do. He just, they just couldn't see. And so old Elisha led this whole host of people over into his country and could have killed them, but he fed them and sent them on back home. Now, beloved, if that power existed 2,000 years ago, I want to tell you in your life, right where you face right now, I don't care what the odds are against you and how formal it seems to be, the odds are, and how powerful the forces are against you. I want to tell you something, that if you name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, there's no power upon the face of this earth that you should be afraid of or be intimidated by because if you too had the vision to be able to see that you would be able to see the most awesome power that this world knows anything about is for you and on your side simply because you are in the hand of a living God. You are neither here by chance, you will not live by chance, neither will you die by chance. Trust it. Act upon it. It is so. Our Father, then help us then that we truly might be the person that thou has called us to be today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of his words, finishing the work he started and making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven. 